2: Hey again, welcome to Really Good Shares. This is AJ Delario, and today on this Recovery Adjacent podcast, we'll talk about spiritual growth through physical activity. Uh, Also changing what other people think of you and altering a belief in yourself. Plus, running in the woods and the best chicken wings on earth. And if you're new to the show, we've got a few episodes now. So if you'd like to hear more about my experience at Gawker Media, those are at the beginning. If you want some mental health, alcoholic stuff, that's kind of in the middle at the back end. Uh, But they're all about growth and transformation. So welcome. We're so glad you're here. We're talking with my friend Steve Wilson. Now, this was a dude I used to party with back in Brooklyn 10 years ago. And somehow he made a leap from being a total self-destructive mess of this Brooklyn wastoid to becoming this bastion of hope and spirituality and stillness and becoming a sober person Moved home to Florida for some constant sunshine and clean living. But you can see his physical and emotional transformation. He just kind of floats now. First, let's talk about how Steve and I met. So I used to live in the Carroll Garden section of Brooklyn, and soon after I moved there, uh, this new restaurant opened up. The Wing Bar. Now, I love wings, and the Wing Bar, honest to God, has the best ones ever. I don't eat chicken anymore, but if you're in that hood, go try them. So it was also just a cool spot and had this really great vibe and giant TVs to watch sports, even though it really wasn't a sports bar. Plus, and this is what made it a truly magical place, it had this giant outdoor area in the back with picnic tables and cool lighting. And I think it had, like, artificial turf. You could also see part of the sky behind the building. So because of that fact, and their wonderful beer specials, I was there two, three nights At the time I was editing the sports site Deadspin and I would hold these editorial meetings there with many of the staff. It was my own version of an all hands meeting except there would be like four people and we'd get very, very drunk. And our raider during 90% of those meetings was was Steve. Uh, Steve had this very chill vibe about him. Kind of innocent and he has this look about him, like a shaggy 70s look. He was one of the Lost Almond brothers but he was very soft-spoken and was, wouldn't you know it, a fan of this uh, One of my friends was also a writer who lived in the neighborhood and she also hung out there and she and I would swap stories about Steve all the time. Here's Katie's memory of those times and what the wing bar was like back then.
1: How do I describe wing bar? Um, yeah, I mean, sit outside. I just knew if I was going there that I was gonna be eating a lot of wings drinking a lot of shocks, smoking a lot of cigarettes, um, and probably like hours and hours passing. Um, just one of those kind of wormhole places where, you know, you arrive at, you know, 445 PM and then the next thing you know it's 1245 AM <laughs> and it's Tuesday night. And but yeah, I just sitting outside on picnic tables and just like a really good neighborhood spot. AJ giving the nod from across like the backyard, and wings kept coming, pickleback shots kept coming, cigarettes and 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 pitchers, just <laughs> all the food groups.
2: Katie actually had a foggy memory of that time and who Steve was, but after some digging through her GChat archive, she found this:
1: Tuesday, July fifth, AJ Delario, I'm craving wing bar. And I say, what you're really craving is some Steve time.
2: And I was craving some Steve time. It didn't feel right to be at Wing Bar without Steve as our waiter. Something felt off. Anytime I talked about Wing Bar, I inevitably talked about Steve.
1: Then, uh, I guess about two weeks later, we've got some drama in Steve land. Delirio. So FYI, there are tentative plans to introduce one Charles Klosterman to the Wing Bar tomorrow night. And I said, I hope he meets Steve. And then you said, in all caps, oh, fired. For now, at least. What did he do slash what didn't he do? They're not so discreet. Bender, apparently. Oh, dear. They wonder where he is now. Last I heard, nobody knew. He'd vacated the bunk bed and may have either A, shacked up with his girlfriend, or B, moved back to Florida. So that was on July 20th. Um, And then the final one that I found, Steve's back. July 26th, you begin. Oh, Steve's back. He was on probation. Probation? Oh, I just realized that by probation, I thought you meant parole. No, just wing bar probation and bunk bed probation, I guess. He was back working the Monday shift quiet, humbled, rejuvenated Steve, our man. So those, are my, those
2: are my Steve chronicles. So yeah, Steve wasn't actually a real person to me at that point. More of a character in my weirdo, drunk guy, cinematic universe. Sometimes at the wing bar, we'd stay after it closed to the public. The owner would pull this big garage-like gate to close up, but a few of the VIPs, like me would get to stay super late and drink and do other extracurricular activities. Sometimes I'd see Steve passed out in the corner and he just look like this pile of hair. He struggled a lot. And like I said, I lived close to the wing bar and sometimes I'd invite Steve back to hang out. And sometimes Steve would be really drunk and just show up at like 2 a.m. I was describing this to our producer Julian while we were interviewing Steve and Steve owned right up to it. We had this this apartment next to us who had a little baby, and sometimes Steve would knock on the wrong door and wake up the little baby. And then I
3: forgot, I forgot what door it was.
2: Yeah, um, but not, not not a great look for anyone no. involved. Yeah. I'm
3: so sorry. I'm so sorry, ma'am. <laughs>
2: That's just terrible. But, and then you know, and then my girlfriend would basically just like be nudging me, just like you know, can you ask Steve to leave? He's taken all our drugs, and he's like drooling and sleeping in the middle of our room, like basically <laughs> he's there. I'm like, he's not hurting anybody, you know? It's <laughs> like, we'll just work around him, man. Uh, put a lampshade on him. I didn't know it at the time, but Steve and I were both experiencing similar lows in the same places. Steve's childhood friend Brian owned the Wing Bar and shared an apartment with Steve. When I told Katie about Steve vacating the bunk bed during his wing bar probation, that was a bunk bed he shared with Brian. Here's what Brian had to say about that time.
4: I love Steve. It was one of my greatest friends still is. Met Steve, you know, at a really young age. Uh, used to play basketball and, and Steve had that house where everybody would come out and play sports in the yard. Uh, he's just like a very emotional, like in a in a good way. He's a charmer, you know. He, he'll hold the door open for you. He'll tell you your chariot awaits you. <laughs> some, you know, silly stuff like that. He's just always, uh, he's a lover, essentially.
2: But he also sells Steve at some of his lower points. Like really low. Like passed out by dumpsters low.
4: It happened at least once. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we all lived together. Right. In and, in, um, in downtown. Chinatown. In Chinatown. Steve, on his way home, a lot of times would like to pick up some cheeseburgers or hamburgers and beers. And, uh, you know, one day he comes home but, you know, you got to get in this gate, which is the funny part. So you got to get in a gate before you get in the door. And he got in the gate, but he didn't quite get in the building. <laughs> it was about, like, three feet into the front door. And then to the left was, like, four big round black garbage cans. And then about three feet of space where you could, you know, lay down right there. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we come home one night. He's just taking a nap right there and... and. Uh, you just see the little the little brown guys run up, run away. <laughs> we're like, oh shit, Steven got fucking rats on you. <laughs> He's got no clue about any of this. And that's another part that's kind of funny. You know, like an hour later, we're like, dude, you had rats on you. He's like, oh no wait, I didn't have any rats on me. <laughs> they probably thought he was dead. <laughs> they might have resuscitated him. <laughs>
2: Guy was sleeping in rats. Steve would be on the wagon, off the wagon, constantly trying to pull his life together and constantly failing. But his drinking progressed and things got darker for him around 2015. His alcoholism became so bad, his depression was worse.
3: Yeah, there's a lot of screaming into the abyss. So I remember... Walking along the Hudson, unemployed, looking for a job, but also just, I couldn't get out of myself. I was, just became tighter and tighter, like a, like a punch right. fist, right? Like, you, there was no light coming through. And, you know, I would drink and a little bit of, I would feel like a little bit of light was coming through. But, and then, you know, then the hangover, you know, and... You know, bad hangovers, right? Just emotional, physical, you know, you name it. And then I'd walk along the water and I'd be like, wow, that looks great to jump into. You weren't talking about going for a swim. No, I mean, just like, like not fighting. Just like, like, I felt like a rock. Like, spiritually, physically, just like everything. All dreams were dashed. Like any hope was gone, and I couldn't even—I couldn't imagine uh, a time where it would be different. But then I rented a car, and and then that was the whole thing, you know, packing up and just try, trying to remain sober enough, trying to get away from. DTS to think I could drive a car, and I hadn't d- driven a car in five years, right?
0: Yeah.
2: D- DTS, you mean the, the shaking stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. De- Delirium tremens for those at home. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I don't
3: really talk about that often, but yeah, I feel like I feel like it's needed to be said. You know. In the beginning, I tried every hack. I tried to get sober and then go visit people and be like, hi, I'm better. And then I was drinking in two days. When you apologize to somebody and then you do it again and you see in their eyes that they don't believe you anymore, that's a living hell.
2: So you've experienced that look firsthand. So many times. So Steve left. He needed to change the scenery, needed to change himself, but it was going to be a long way home. Steve went back home to Florida soon after that, to live with his parents and take care of them he also had to learn how to take care of himself. He left around 2015, right around the time I went to rehab. I stayed off Instagram for like two years after that. And when I came back, Steve would pop up on my feed every once in a while, and he changed. Like, his face changed. He smiled more. He seemed more present and accounted for. Plus, he was constantly posting pictures of himself running, like running outside. Then I was like, man, Steve runs? So I DM'd him. And I ended up interviewing Steve for my newsletter, The Small Bow. And I wanted to know how he got started. Like Steve said the first thing he bought when he got down to Florida was some running shoes. He was ready to change. But it took him a while. I'll read some of his answer from the newsletter. I attempted maybe two runs in the first eight months. The thought of doing it every day was too daunting and I was too much of a shell. I hadn't run before at all. In fact, you could probably count on two hands how many times I'd worked out between the ages of 15 to 34.
3: One day, after a little bit of sober time, I tried to run. I really tried to run. I would go all out, but I was heavier at the time. And I would run out of steam about three quarters of a mile in. But I would get out there the next day until I could finally do two days in a row. Once I attempted trail running, the world opened up.
2: When Brian and I discussed Steve's running regimen, I told him how astonished I was at Steve's transformation, and, and Brian was as well. And we also talked about how unconventional his style is. I mean, the guy's not just running fucking 5Ks. Like, this isn't a couch to 5K thing. I mean, dude's running marathons in the woods, by himself
4: (laughs) yeah it's just completely insane right (laughs) (laughs) and hold on at night that's right
2: steve does most of his running at night in the backwoods near his house sharing his workout space with snakes and frogs and crickets foxes panthers probably not panthers but who knows it's dark they're probably panthers (sighs)
3: same trail looks slightly different every night. I come to the path that I run on, and there's a power line. And while the sun's setting, I'll watch hawks all start to gather in for the night and roost atop this power line. And then frogs will start their song. The moon is large in the sky, an orange, just beginning to wane. At night, I'll look up, see where the moon's at, hear the sounds in the night, and just try to breathe for the first two miles and take in the night. You can start to sense how each night feels, and they all have a different subtle quality. I hear frogs and a flash of lightning. I really needed big open spaces to be able to see the sky, to be able to see thriving ecosystems and changes in seasons, and also to have some alone time to be able to see that nature. I know the trail well enough now that after a while, I turn the headlamp off and close my eyes for short stretches. And lately, the last few nights or three weeks, I think I've been watching a mother fox, I believe, and a female child fox. They come and they sit on the, next to the path and they'll sleep and watch me and then they'll get up and play with each other and then like go hunt frogs, which hurts me for the frogs, but I know that that's what foxes do. They're not burdened by human emotion. I really like this quote about animals is, uh, all animals in nature are constantly living in a form of prayer. So they're always doing what they do, being who they are all the time. Fox is gonna fox. Running's not a prayer, but it could be a form of prayer if you make it. Brief moments, I have movement, and I am listening, and I let go, surrendering myself. The body is its own animal; it needs to be exercised, and you know, energies need to be released. After a run, there should be some kind of the body should be cleansed, if you will, from some kind of effort and you should have a little bit more space. Sometimes it's so beautiful, I slow down to a walk and smile, and I can't help myself from looking up
2: Get to this part because this is the part that I think is so fascinating. It's like when you when you started running, your first race was a it was a marathon. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> you didn't start with a five K. No. You started It was a marathon, a half marathon, ten K and a five K. What was the logic behind that decision? <laughs> I thought it'd be funny. Steve's approach to running isn't an overly ambitious process, either. It's not meant to demoralize you while you try to break personal records, or you try to get under nine-minute miles just so those pop-up insurance ads leave you the hell alone for once. A lot of new runners become obsessive about running. For newly sober runners, running can become, you know, a new drug. So I love that Steve's not hell-bent on chasing personal records and medals. He's just enjoying the meditative part of the experience. Steve practiced his philosophy when he ran the New York City Marathon a couple years ago, which is obviously one of the biggest running events on earth. And since he's run a couple of marathons, he could probably put a decent time together. I mean, you have to put a lot of work in just to qualify for this race. And most people want to run their best times there. But here's how Steve did it.
3: Even when I ran uh, the New York City Marathon, you know, I trained to run it half an hour faster than I ran it. And I made a decision somewhere along the lines of when I was flying up there, that as more people were saying, oh, we're going to be cheering you here, and we're going to be cheering you at this street and this street. I decided to stop along the marathon, the eight or nine stops, I think it was, and stop and say hello and get hugs and keep going, as opposed to trying to run a fast time. Right. Because that fast time... The uh, happiness derived from it doesn't go further than two days. Yeah. But I have those memories of, <laughs> um, you know, hugging my friends and having the full circle of them seeing me be a passed out ball of hair to me seeing yeah. seeing me run the marathon. You know?
2: Right. Speaking of other very shaggy friends. You just heard Steve's cat, Daisy, who was crawling all over him during this interview. Anyway, Steve stepping out of the race to hug his friends. Those are the choices that drew me to him in the first place. I I actually started running because of Steve. I I thought it was because I was sober and I was bored or I was just old and I was bored. But now I think about it, it was definitely Steve. Like, he legit inspired me. Not to run a marathon, especially not to run a marathon in the woods, but I, I knew I needed to participate in life differently, and he had that part figured out. At least that was my impression. I mean, Steve recommended the running shoes I should buy. So I did, and he told me to read a book called G-Running, which I never did, but same vibe. Here's the most important thing that Steve taught me. His advice was to run as slow as you can for as far as you can, but make sure you Look around. And I think that's the same as sobriety, right? We can't just turn 10 days of non-drinking into 10 years. Time takes time. It's supposed to be hard. It's supposed to hurt. But people will know when you're truly different. Sound corny? Yes? No?
3: That's beautiful. Slow down and get out there. Even if you're walking, you don't have to run.
4: When people keep repeating That you'll never fall in love When everybody keeps retreating But you don't seem to get enough Tragedy fails you don't let it drag you
1: down
4: You can cure your problems you so lucky I'm around All you gotta do is let my love Open the door Let my love Open the door Let my love Open the door to your heart.
2: His version of that song is so good. Yeah, it's incredible.
3: Pete Thompson didn't know what he was talking about.
2: Next time on Really Good Chairs, we have Edith Zimmerman, who does all the illustrations for the small book. She used to hang out in the same New York City media circles that I did, but then she got sober and she started drawing comics. And actually, when you Google my first year sober, one of the very first results you get is a comic she made five years ago. And people are still passing that around today. We'll also talk about her drunken adventure with Captain America. So we'll see you in two weeks. So I'm Doug. Take it away, Paisano. No matter what. Really Good Shares is hosted by me, AJ Delario. We're produced by Julian Weller, Jackie Huntington, and Jessica Krynchich, with production assistance from Lindsay Hoppin. Our theme music is Everything You'll Ever Need by Swamp Dog. And in this episode, Swamp covered Let My Love Open the Door by Pete Townsend. Our executive producers are myself, Julian Weller. And that's it. Special thanks to Mangesh Hatikader and Bethann Macaluso. Thanks to Steve Wilson for going back through the woods with us and to his dad for the technical assist. And Daisy for showing up. Uh, An extra special thanks to the Wing Bar, where it kind of seems like this whole podcast began, oddly enough. Great job, great wings, man down. If you like what you heard here, check out thesmallbow.com. That's bow as in bow and arrow. Cool. We'll be back in two weeks with Dieter Zimmerman, her comic, and Captain America.
0: Boston Proper is for women who love distinctive style in styles that don't define them. Boston Proper designs are unique and made to fit flawlessly. Confident women wear Boston Proper as an expression of who they are with chic, polished styling and unforgettable looks that get noticed anytime, every day, and on any occasion. When you want that certain something in everything you wear, wear Boston Proper. Shop at bostonproper.com and wear it like no one else.